0: I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly, and I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health, I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back. The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Really appreciate you joining me this week. As I do every week, uh, especially if you're a first time viewer or listener, I hope you'll stick around. We talk about lots of interesting stuff. Before we get into today's interesting stuff, let's do some announcements. Announcements number one there's a uh, A blue Chevy Impala outside with its lights on California tags license plate number G78X42 so if that's your car please be informed that you left your lights on number two Elvis has left the building so please don't trample each other on your way out and announcement number three and this is the real announcement thelastsymptom.com is my website full of free resources be sure to check it out especially if you are new around here there are also some paid resources over at that website which finance my ability to do this so again that website is thelastsymptom.com to get us started I wanted to ask, how many of you heard the show last week where I explained how it's sometimes okay to lie? Well, that's a, that's a trick question, ain't it? Because no such show exists. So if you remember me doing a show last week where I spent a lot of time talking about how it's sometimes okay to lie, you might want to go back and listen to that episode more closely because not once in that entire episode did I say that lying is okay. Lying, Jenna. What I said instead is that telling an untruth is not always the same thing as lying lying giving false information to somebody who is not entitled to the truth is not lying so at no time did i say it's okay to lie i said that telling an untruth under certain circumstances is not lying lying jenny i miss you jenny so that's quite a bit different ain't it than saying there's nothing wrong with lying Of course, I provide a full, comprehensive, and cohesive explanation for why false information and lies are not one and the same thing in last week's show, so I'm, I'm not going to go into it again here. I'm also not going to reply to anybody who hears this in this show and tells me I'm wrong, Uh, if it's clear to me that they're responding to the assertion here without having watched or listened to last week's show on that topic but I did want to start this week off highlighting uh, just how important picking up on subtleties are. If you thought, for example, that last week that whole conversation was about how sometimes lying is okay you you missed something important because I, I never said that throughout the five years I've been doing this work with the last symptom I have repeatedly emphasized how it is the subtle aspects of life that can often create the biggest misunderstandings and confusion and problems certainly in authentic recovery, it is the most subtle aspects of emotional health that people are the most quick to discard as being unimportant. And you know, this is this is true not just for people uh, with emotional disorders trying to recover, but this is just as true for the professional community as a group as well. If they knew just how important the subtle things and how imperative it is to uh, emphasize and focus upon many of these subtle things, more people would make progress with their emotional health. But no, the professional community as a group and suffering people in general have the very strong tendency to overlook the subtle stuff. They dismiss it as Irrelevant or unimportant in favor of the seemingly bigger more obvious stuff and now you know why more people don't make authentic progress because they place too much importance on the big things that don't matter and they don't put enough emphasis on the subtle things that matter most this discussion we're about to have kind of goes kind of ties in with this pretty good you would do well to think long and hard about the truth of the following statement and its greater implications alright so I'm going to give you the statement if you got a pen and paper you can jot her down but I would like you to think about this very very hard As people, as human beings, we cannot generate true motivation, that is to say, lasting motivation, for any effort that we secretly perceive as pointless. Let's say it one more time. As human beings, as people, it is impossible for us to generate true motivation that is to say, motivation that lasts for any effort that we secretly perceive is pointless in other words a big old waste of our time people often say to me I have a really difficult time maintaining motivation in my efforts to get emotionally healthy or to authentically recover from An emotional disorder. Well, have you considered that uh, a part of you has possibly gone into this process disbelieving that you can ever truly be healthy? If so, apply the quote that I just gave you and do a self-examination. You cannot maintain enthusiasm for any effort that you Believe is ultimately going to be a complete waste of your time. So the first step upon realizing you carry these doubts is to do what? So if, if you do a self-examination and you realize, you know, I, I never really thought about it before, but Barnett's right. I don't think a healthy version of me is possible. I don't believe that. What then would be the very first step? To just go through the motions anyway. Well, that's what most people would do. Most people would just pretend. And just go through the motions. Do everything that they're told. Cross their fingers and hope for the best. Even while carrying that secret belief that there is no possibility of some future healthy version of them of themselves but remember the quote I just gave you so what is the very first step if you examine yourself and you find that that's true for you what has to be the very first step the very first step upon realizing you carry doubts like this is to eliminate the doubts right that has to be the first step Why? Because as human beings we cannot maintain true enthusiasm for any meaningful length of time toward any effort or any goal that we secretly perceive is ultimately going to be a total waste of our time. You say, well, that sounds a whole lot easier said than done. If I think a thing is impossible whether consciously or unconsciously if I think a thing is impossible it ain't as easy as just snapping my fingers and suddenly I believe it is possible you're right that's very insightful of you you're absolutely right about that so what do you gotta do well have you considered that I was once in that exact situation and now I'm not so that's one thing you can do you can look at examples of other people like myself who was once in that situation thought I'm never going to be naturally behave differently than I do right now I'm always going to have these very unhealthy tendencies but uh, you know if you think about it like if somebody had told me uh, 40 years ago that any normal person in your neighborhood, could own and operate a little flying camera that it could just fly around the neighborhood and you can watch it on your phone. You can watch what it sees on your phone. I would have said, no, That's you're, you're lying to me. That's not possible. But seeing it, seeing people actually doing that today, isn't it wild? Isn't it wild when you think about it? People flying these drones. Around your neighborhood, and able to watch and record everything that little flying camera sees on their telephones. Once I see that, it doesn't seem quite so impossible anymore, does it? in fact, i've I've seen, for example, a couple friends of mine flying those things, and I say, "Well, that looks easy enough. I could do that. I've even considered getting myself one of those. I haven't done so yet, only because I, I can't figure out any practical use for it. If the batteries ran, you know, something like three hours or something like that, that'd be awesome. But the fact that they can only go 15, 20 minutes before they need a charge, uh, not worth me loading into my backpack and carrying out into the woods or anything like that. But I hope you get the point. That you can use my real life experience of having authentically recovered from a lifetime, a lifetime of emotional disorder as evidence to convince yourself that going from a lifetime of emotional unhealth to a life of real emotional health is possible. You are not wasting your time and energy. Let's think about this. You might say to yourself, "Yes, but I've been trying very very hard. I've been trying very hard. I don't seem to be getting anywhere or it, this doesn't seem to be working." Is that evidence that your objectives are impossible? Let's again, let's think about it for a second. Is the fact that what you're doing ain't working evidence that your objectives are impossible well that is something that's uh, referred to as a logical fallacy you remember what a logical fallacy is they're kind of fascinating a logical fallacy is erroneously interpreting information as being proof certain proof of something that it is not proof of at all and I can give you a real life example you hear it all the time more women than men have borderline personality disorder that old favorite lie or misinformation of the professional community they themselves the professional community say it all the time they say evidence has proven That more women than men. Have borderline personality disorder. Is that true? No it's not true. This is just an example of a logical fallacy. How do they arrive at the conclusion. That more women than men. Suffer from borderline personality disorder. The way they arrive at that conclusion. Is. That more women. Are documented. As showing the symptoms. So. So surely that proves doesn't it more women than men have borderline personality disorder it doesn't when you realize that more women than men naturally and voluntarily go to therapists so you understand that a man can't be included in a a statistic men I should say can't be included in a statistic that they refuse to participate in or they refuse to voluntarily share things about. So the only thing that statistically more women report symptoms of borderline personality disorder than men, the only thing that that is definite evidence of is that more women are talking to people about it than men are. But as far as... uh, borderline personality disorder being a female's disorder that's absolute bunk absolute bunk now let's talk about your efforts not working I want to tell you this that if something you're doing isn't working so let's say something you're doing in regards to your emotional health recovery any of these things if it, if it ain't working and you say in your brain that this is evidence uh, that your objectives are all a big waste of time I would like to remind you that that's not evidence of that at all if something you're doing isn't working the only thing that this is evidence of is that you're going about it the wrong way. Do you see the logical fallacy? If something you're doing ain't working, the only thing this is evidence of for sure is that adjustments in thinking and approach are necessary. That's the only thing that that is evidence of. I know that your objectives are not a waste of time because I was once the lost cause. I made it almost to age 40, with living with borderline personality disorder, unaware that I had it. Nobody resisted recovery more than I did. No, nobody has. In five years that I've been talking to people about this subject, and I've talked to lots of people, I have yet to meet somebody who was in more difficult circumstances than I was in, and who was more resistant and difficult as far as voluntarily going into the process and trying to get better, I have not met a, a harder case than me, and yet here I am on the other side. This is often why when I'm talking to folks, and they are tempted to say, "Well, the person's just a lost cause," I say, "Be careful there. Be careful with that sort of thinking." because I was once the lost cause you don't know none of us know what the future will bring what things will happen in a person's life to make the them uh, reevaluate their sincerity in their approach to these sorts of things so even though boundaries and consequences and conditions Must firmly be applied in certain circumstances. For example, if somebody is wasting my time, I don't continue to engage with that person. I think I mentioned that last week. So a lot of folks that I've talked to, I perceive that they are simply wasting my time. Um, I don't continue to engage with those people. I let them go off and suffer a little bit more, and I cross my fingers. That with some more suffering, they'll come back with a better attitude, with a more genuine attitude as far as wanting to get healthy. Another thing I said is that uh, I never do more work for somebody else than they're putting in for themselves. So I run into that a lot. Oh, help me, help me, help me, help me. I say, Well, what are you doing for yourself? They're not doing anything for themselves. They want me to do it all. Then again, in that situation, I say, you're wasting my time. I explain to them, I can't do anything for you at this point in time because you're not doing enough for yourself. You want me to do all the work. You want somebody to do all the work for you, but you are not self-initiating and doing enough for yourself. Once you are then we can start getting somewhere so I cross my fingers I send them on their way and I hope the best that's the point I'm trying to get to that although I have to apply these concrete laws and principles in my dealings with people who I'm trying to help and in more cases than not people are not ready they're they're not ready yet I have to apply certain boundaries and consequences. Right? Right. The consequence for you wanting me to do all the work for you is that I'm not going to do anything for you. <laughs> you need to go off, start working hard on yourself, then come back to me. Once that happens, then you open up the way for me to be able to healthily be able to help you. But when I send a person off on their way, do I say to myself, there is a waste of time, There, it, that person is a lost cause. I can tell you honestly, I never do that. Never. I always hold out hope for every single person I come in, even the people who have been really, uh, who have straddled the line between simply being selfish to being just outright evil. Evil toward me, even those people, I hold out hope for them. So I never lose hope. And a lot of the unhealthy people I talk to, they believe that, for example, a wife, let's say, she's thinking about divorcing her husband. He will not work on himself, he will not work on himself, uh, he's abusive, he's uh, self-destructive, and she comes to the decision that she has to uh, divorce him. That's, that is the thing she has to do out of an act of love, let's say, and um, she might think he's a lost cause. Really resist that type of thinking you can love a person you can find it necessary to divorce them or to have to separate from them or to have to terminate a relationship with them but just because you're not in a relationship with them anymore and just because your life has to go a different direction does not mean that we give up hope for people you can still hope the best for a person and not give up hope for people from a distance I remember my ex-wife, Diana, saying something to that effect to me. I will always hope the best for you. Always. No matter what. And so I'm sure she's out there somewhere, remarried, living a her new life. And maybe I pop into her head from time to time and she probably still thinks. If she doesn't know, you know the circumstances of my current life, she's probably wondering if i'm still out there struggling somewhere but hoping the best for me isn't that nice so the need for adjustments in thinking and approach along the way for any endeavor listen to what i'm telling you this does not just apply to going from emotional unhealth to emotional health this applies to for any endeavor any endeavor in life The need for adjustments in thinking and approach along the way for any endeavor is not a possibility. It is a certainty. So do you remember what we said the logical fallacy was? The logical fallacy is I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying. I'm getting nowhere. My goals, my objectives are unattainable. I have the proof right here. I've been trying and trying and trying. I'm getting nowhere. That's the proof. My objectives are unattainable. Remember what we said, the logical falla- that how that's a logical fallacy? It's a logical fallacy because the only thing it proves is that how you're going about trying to reach your objectives is the wrong way. Right? That is the only thing we know for sure. And we know that if you're trying to get healthy, that that is not a, a pointless objective because there are people like me who have done it. There are lost causes like me who once looked into the future and said, Never, never will I be able to get there. Never will I be a different person. Never will I naturally react to things differently or view things differently or feel differently than I do now. Never will I have a completely different set of natural tendencies and yet here I am so we know it's possible now we take the fact that you've been trying 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 and not getting where you're trying to go what do we know for sure well we know for sure that the objective is possible so what's the only other thing that it can mean that you've been trying 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 not getting anywhere the only thing it can absolutely mean is that the way you're going about it you need to make adjustments Adjustments to your approach. Your approach in thinking and the approach in how you're trying to handle the thing or get to where you're trying to go. And remember what I just said. That is true for any anything. I've told you, I've been talking about this a lot lately. Working on a motor or an engine or something. And it's, you know, you're trying to change out a part on a motor and it's very difficult it's not going easy do you remember what i said that always causes me to stop and say what am i doing wrong because if i were doing it right this wouldn't be difficult the fact that that so is it does that mean then that me changing this part on that motor is an impossible objective no What does it mean for sure? It means the way I'm going about changing the part for that motor. I'm doing it incorrectly, or I'm not doing it as well as I could be doing it. Because if I were, it wouldn't be difficult. You see? That's why I say that this advice is good for anything in life. Think about relationships. I try, I try, I try in a relationship. My relationships always bomb. What does that tell you? if your conclusion if you reach the conclusion in a situation like that that well it's just impossible for me to have a healthy happy relationship with somebody uh, slap, uh, slap yourself in the face splash some cold water on your face because we already know that's not true so don't choose to think that way you choosing to think that way is a f- logical fallacy Well, because I try and try and try, and my relationships are never harmonious, peaceful, and happy, it's impossible for me to have a happy, harmonious relationship. Do you remember what the only thing that, you know, analyzing that situation, what is the only thing we know for sure? That you're going about it wrong. Not that the objective is impossible, but that you're going about it wrong. Because if you were going about it the correct way, then you would reach your objective and it wouldn't be difficult. So remember this advice and take it to heart. Anytime you are doing anything and it's beginning to seem difficult and frustrating, take a break, re examine the situation, try to see what you are doing that is overcomplicating your approach or ways that you might make the job easier <laughs> my, my daughter uh, starting to turn into a parrot. I tell her the, I give her these nuggets of wisdom and I go on and I forget that I ever shared them with her and then she'll pop them out at times when I least expect it and it really catches me off guard the other day I don't remember what I was struggling with but she was with me and out of nowhere she says, Daddy, did you forget? I said, forget what? She said, Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> well, that was really cute. I said, Somebody really smart must have told you that sometime. She said, Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I don't remember I don't remember when he told me. I don't remember when I told her that either, but it's a saying of mine. I mean, it, it, I didn't invent it, obviously, but it's one that I I live by. Work smarter, not harder. If something is difficult, stop, analyze wh- what it is about your approach that you are not that you could do better, or that you're not doing right. You know, sometimes it's not just our approach, but it's our thinking. What is what is it about my thinking? in this situation that is making this more difficult than it needs to be I say often I'd say almost all the time it is our thinking as I've told you many times anytime I'm working on a physical project and I don't seem to be making much progress or the job seems more difficult than it ought to be that is a really loud clue that I'm doing it wrong I'm approaching the thing wrong so I stop and I re-examine I don't just continue beating my head against the wall forever for no reason now because I'm an imperfect human sometimes it goes on longer than it should where I'm struggling 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 because my mind's on the project not on issues of emotional health but when I when I take note of the frustration I'm experiencing mindfully that does cause me to stop that's when I begin to say alright I'm doing something wrong this was my approach to escape an emotional disorder so it's not just good for working on motors it's, like I said it's good for every aspect of life but it was my approach to escape an emotional disorder if my emotions were volatile, volatile volatile or life was getting overwhelming, or I realized I was walking around completely stressed out all the time, or I was angry a lot of the time. This was a really loud um, voice in my ear saying, You are overcomplicating something, or you're not approaching life right. So I would stop take time to re-examine what I myself was doing wrong or that I could do differently, that I could do better. So I hope you find that helpful. The takeaway point is, just because I'm trying, 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 and getting nowhere, does n- it, that is not proof that your objectives are impossible. Do you remember what the only thing it is proof of? That the way you're going about reaching those objectives needs to be adjusted and do you remember what I said to you about making adjustments in life I told you that this is not like something that is just a possibility so I don't live my life thinking well there's a possibility that that as I'm trying to accomplish something I'll have to make adjustments along the way that's not what i'm telling you what i'm telling you is that whatever thing i'm trying to do there absolutely will be the need for adjustments along the way and that holds true for everything so why would you get discouraged going along and then realizing i have to make adjustments well i didn't expect that boy that's just dis- that's a uh, frustrating and disillusioning and uh, takes the wind out of my sails. Boy, got to make adjustments. Ah, oh, what's the point? That's not the right way to think. The right way to think is that as you go into any endeavor, knowing right out the gate, saying to yourself, "Now on this journey, I will have to make adjustments." I do this on every backpacking trip. I, I set down a detailed plan of every day, the mileage, exactly where I hope to be, how much ground I want to cover, when I want to get into camp, and all these things. It never goes that way. Never. So no matter how detailed my plans are, no matter how airtight I think they are, I always have to make adjustments along the way. Because I'm expending so much energy in the mountains, I may get hungrier a lot earlier than I originally planned to stop for lunch. How flexible am I? Am I willing to, along the way, make adjustments and say, okay, my hunger's kicking in, my energy levels are dropping much faster or sooner or differently than I had originally planned for. Gotta make an adjustment. Fellers, we got to stop right here for lunch. I need it. I'm hitting a wall. Don't have no energy. There's a brook. Let's stop by the brook there and have lunch. And do you know that the guys that I'm with, or whoever I'm with on a backpacking trip, even, you, you sometimes I'm by myself, but often I'm with buddies, they never say, oh, now, no, let's not do that. Let's stick to the plan. You know why? Because if I'm hungry, they probably are too. So it's that flexibility in every aspect of life. You can plan for a thing, but you got to be flexible. you got to be willing to make adjustments along the way, especially if you're not achieving your goal or making progress on a goal or an objective. That's not the time to throw up your hands and say, well, this is just a lost cause. That is the, that is the time to say, How could I do this more effectively? How could I approach this thing more effectively? I was excited to talk to you about that because that's not just one of those things that, well, okay, it's good for emotional recovery from an emotional disorder. That's one of those things that, my goodness, applies to everything in life. Have you ever wondered if I ever get caught up in obsessive thinking anymore, now that I'm free and clear of any emotional disorder? Well, I'll tell you that I, I do not get caught up in obsessive thinking anymore. But that is not the same as saying if I failed to be mindful that I would not obsess about things. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that the only reason I don't obsess is because I'm mindful. I'm, I'm sensitive and mindful of where my thoughts are at. And what my feelings are doing. Most of the time. I do catch my, my thoughts from time to time. Wanting to obsess. Another thing we talked about last week was uh, injustices, right? So, that's hard for all of us. Not just me. That is a natural human tendency. When we are perceiving an injustice... We say to ourselves, that's not right. That's not, that should not be. There are lots of things like that. Now, as a God-fearing person, I believe that the time is coming very quickly when the injustice we at, look at uh, will not be. So, you know, as human beings, we have certain tendencies. We, we have an ingrained moral code and a, and a sense of right and wrong when we look at something we say that is a great injustice uh... that really bothers us especially you know in my own case and folks i talk to thinking about the injustices injustices of our past the way that the people who claim to love us treated us so unjustly the effects that we're living with uh... that we grow up to live with if we don't identify them and fix them trace directly back to people who claim to love us and care about us, that what an injustice. Even with the professional community, the way that they propagate false concepts or focus upon things that are completely irrelevant, overlooking the things that that are relevant and necessary for ridding ourselves of these emotional disorders completely and for real, that's a tremendous injustice. Right, so it is human nature to focus upon a perceived injustice and say and 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 have a real hard time not obsessing about something like that because it shouldn't be, but it is. Whenever I I perceive an injustice, even today, if I were not mindful, um, I would obsess. And there are times where I begin to obsess. But do you remember what I said helps me out of that? Mindfulness. Well, two things help me out of it. Two things. The sec- I'm going to tell you what these two things are, and I'm going to tell you right now that the second thing people rebel again- against. It's just like that conversation last week. There are things that I don't know why, but a lot of people will rebel against the same things. Um, So two things help me to stop myself from beginning to obsess. Number one, mindfulness. Recognizing that I'm beginning to obsess. The second thing is the knowledge that I have full control over my thoughts. This is the thing people rebel against. First of all, they rebel against it because they don't distinguish between their feelings and their thoughts. By the way, if you're one of these folks... Who that applies to don't feel too bad about it because I talk to quote unquote professional expert therapists and psychologists even today who can't distinguish between the two things don't understand the difference in nature between thoughts and feelings it's true we have no control over our feelings but we have full control over our thoughts and I'll say I repeated this a million times but because I have to people will say no I don't have full control over my thoughts cuz you know you tell me not to think about an ice cream cone I think about an ice cream cone fine are you telling me that you're stuck thinking about an ice cream cone until the ice cream cone decides you're allowed to stop thinking about it it's absurd yes the idea might pop into your head It doesn't mean you have to continue thinking about the ice cream cone. You can recognize what you're thinking about. You can choose to think about something different. This is true for everybody. So if you have not been uh, exercising that human power, that human capability to choose what you allow yourself to continue thinking about, Uh, You need to start immediately. You understand why mindfulness goes hand in hand with that, I hope. Because if you're not mindful of what you're thinking about, you're just a bus without a driver. You're just a bus without a driver. That thing's just careening, careening off walls. That bus is going wherever your emotions tell it to go. In order to exercise this incredibly powerful capability that you have as a human being to control what you think about, you first have to be aware and conscious of what it is you're thinking. Catch yourself when you're thinking negative things. If you're walking around feeling a bunch of negative, feeling a bunch of negative things, all right, we're talking about feelings there, but if you're walking around feeling a bunch of th- negative things, <clears throat> what does that surely imply? It surely implies That the reason you're feeling so negative is because you're thinking about negative things. Do you remember where our feelings come from? They come from our thoughts. So isn't that powerful that you have full control over what you allow yourself to continue thinking? Because effectively what we're saying is that you can catch yourself, consciously recognize that you are being a negative Nancy, you can analyze your thoughts and you can choose to start thinking more positively and what happens when you start thinking more positively a natural result of that is that you will most likely start to feel more positive right so this is not like lying to ourselves <clears throat> that's not what i'm suggesting i'm not suggesting like hey i'll just if i tell myself i can fly like superman then i can if I believe it enough, I can. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is... If I look outside and it's rainy... And gray... I can... My thoughts might default to... What a crappy day. What a lousy day. I had all these things I wanted to do outside today and look at it. It's raining. And you catch yourself... Boy, I'm being awful negative there. I'm being awful awful negative... Is there anything inherently bad or negative about rain or a rainy day? No. And you say to yourself, in fact, the rain is quite beautiful. The rain is quite beautiful. I loved when I was a kid going out and playing in the rain. I loved to sit by a window with a nice warm cup of tea. And stare out the window and watch the raindrops bloop, bloop, bloop in the mud puddles. How relaxing that is. I personally think about how, when I'm in the mountains on a backpacking trip, how exquisite it is to have a nice campfire going, company around the campfire, sitting out, getting tired, drinking some booze. Putting away old Mr. Hooch, feeling the aches of the day of all the the mileage that I hiked and everything, and then it's starting to rain. Pitter-patter, pitter-patter. But having that nice, warm, cozy, dry shelter set up right over there, and I know I can crawl into my sleeping bag up underneath my blankets, get into my tent, and then I'll hear the pitter-patter of that rain on my tent all night long while I'm tucked away nice and dry and cozy how nice is that so you can choose to look at that day however you want you can choose to make uh, to take it and make yourself sour and bitter and negative Nancy and unhappy and you can use those thoughts to lead into other negative thoughts But we don't only have power over what we think, but we also have full control over how we think. So you can just as likely catch yourself thinking those negative things. Stop yourself and say, I'm going to choose to think about this rainy day this way. And uh, that will have a, a dramatic effect on the thoughts and the feelings that spring out of those thoughts. Positive thoughts lead to other positive thoughts, lead to other positive thoughts, lead to other positive thoughts, and positive thoughts lead to positive feelings. But the opposite is also true. Negative thoughts will naturally um, lead into more negative thoughts, into more negative thoughts, into more negative thoughts. And negative thoughts give birth naturally. To negative feelings mindfulness is everything for me it has become a way of life it was not always easy at the very beginning but la practica hace el maestro practice makes perfect you've got lots of time to practice and do you remember that all of this is practice life is batting practice in the old days I operated on an algorithm. Now I challenge the algorithm. So there are still some algorithms in there. These are the human the, imp- the human condition algorithms. The imperfection that we all live with. And I'm always challenging those algorithms. And do you know what that means for me? Do you, do you know what that means for who's in control of me? In my thoughts and my behaviors and my decision-making and all these things is it the algorithm not as long as I'm mindful and aware as long as I'm mindful and aware and challenging the, the algorithm it means that I'm in control not the algorithm so when my brain begins to obsess about a thing and this does still happen from time to time as I hopefully explained earlier The most difficult periods of time or uh, moments when this is true for me is when I am the victim of or I am the witness of some injustice. My brain will begin, particularly an injustice that has no solution, like there's nothing I can do about it. When that happens, my brain will begin to obsess about it that's not that's not the way things should be that's not right i don't like that is there anything i can do about it these are the types of thoughts that i have and it turns into a a, a merry-go-round it just goes around and around so when this does still happen from time to time it is my mindfulness that catches it that mindfully recognizes that it's happening and then i consciously take control I do. I take control. Um, sometimes this happens with people, with other people. So people I care about and I am invested in emotionally, but I know because of the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, authority, that I have no control over. So one particular example is anytime my father comes into play, So if I run into somebody who knows my father, if I have a dream about him, things of this nature, if I'm not mindful of the natural effects that it's going to have on me, I could become a slave to the algorithm. But if I'm mindful and aware, I'm powerful because I can make decisions about, about it. I can catch myself when I'm working on a project and I catch myself, my brain, obsessing about my father. I can catch it and say, I'm going to redirect my thoughts. That's getting me nowhere. It's only frustrating, painful in these things. I'm going to redirect those thoughts. And that's not all I do. Because I know of the effect that this sort of exposure to my father has. I love my father, but as longtime listeners know, he is an ongoing source of... Tremendous pain and frustration for me because he has not done what he needs to do. Nobody holds him accountable except for me. I'm the only one. And I have great hope for him. I would hope to see him enjoy authentic emotional health. I recognize that this is entirely up to him. Still, I am invested. I want, I hope that he will do that when he doesn't and as the years tick by and he continues to ignore boundaries and these sorts of things it is painful it causes me to begin to go into that those obsessive thoughts where my mindfulness then has to catch it and and redirect myself but one thing I'll also do is that I'll warn people that I may act unusual I may be moody And I tell them it's because I have some emotional thing affecting me. It's not their fault. I also permit myself some emotional behavior and I forgive myself for it preemptively. That means before it ever happens. So just knowing myself, knowing the situation, its effect on me, I'll say, surely I will get careless because I'm just a person. I can't be... Con- you know perfectly consciously aware of these things all the time but i know i know it's affecting me so as the week goes on i might get I-, I might not be as consciously aware of the effect it's having on me and i might bark at somebody i might treat somebody impatiently or something like that so i know that 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 there is a very strong possibility that that will happen. I'm going to warn the people that I come into contact to, with that I'm that I have an intimate relationship, right, or a close friendship. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you we're going to be spending a lot of time here the next few days together. I'm dealing with some emotional stuff, and I don't mean I won't mean to be short with you or anything like that. But if I am, I just want you to know that that's what's going on, and it's it's not you. Boy, you would be amazed at how that takes care of so many things. Um, But I also forgive myself for it preemptively. I say, I'm just a person. The effects of this are what they are. If, If I do end up mistreating somebody, I've already warned them of the possibility about it. I'm already aware that it's likely that this will occur. So I'm already going to forgive myself if I do mess up. I'll still regret it. I don't want it to happen. But if it does, you know, it is understandable that it might, might happen. So I cut myself that slack. Another thing I do is that I imagine myself as a child. And I spend time with myself as my grown-up self. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, as myself right now, older, wiser, stronger, more mature, choose to spend time with my younger inner self. And I imagine sitting with myself and putting my own arm around my own younger self, talking to him and comforting him. Even Stephen King... The author knows that we're all carrying different stages of ourselves within us. I know because I've, I've seen him write about it. This is true for people who are raised emotionally healthy too. We grow up, we become adults, but whatever version of ourselves that we are, we have all of the younger versions of ourselves within us. You know, the, the, the me from first grade is still in there somewhere. The me from high school, still in there somewhere. And now, as an independent, adult free agent, I have the ability to sit with myself and comfort those, those versions of myself. Healthy people parent the younger versions within themselves by intuition and an unconscious understanding that it's now their responsibility to do this. Now, it's not anybody else's responsibility. So, it's my responsibility to do this for myself. It's not some woman out there, some girlfriend. It's not anybody else. It's me. That responsibility belongs to me. It belongs to you if you're an adult free agent. If you're waiting for other adults to do this for you, you're going to be waiting a long time. And you shouldn't be because it's neglectful. You're neglecting your responsibilities to yourself. You can be your own parenting figure now. Healthy people, of course, have had the advantage of having had good role models for the proper way that they should parent themselves, such as not shaming themselves, being patient but not permissive, and so forth. The challenge for people who were raised in unhealthy families is that they did not have good role models. They were used to what they learned from their own parents and that's that's what they've got to inform their way of parenting their own inner children so if unhealthy people were to continue parenting themselves the, their younger versions of themselves the same way they learn they learn from observing the way their parents parented them as children they'd just continue creating the same trouble <laughs> For themselves that their parents did I'm not creating a what-if scenario here what I am doing is I'm describing what unhealthy people actually do think about the way you talk to yourself how critical you are of yourself how impatient you are with yourself this is you taking your parents parenting style and you've taken that now you're turning it inward and you are treating yourself that way you are imitating your poor examples so there's more involved than just taking responsibility for parenting yourself like I've described parenting the younger versions within you what do you have to do first you first have to understand the healthy way to go about it and more importantly the principles and laws for why one way is healthier than another This is what the Last Symptom Fundamentals course that I'm always telling you about primarily focuses on. So if you haven't taken that course, run over to thelastsymptom.com, check out the paid resources tab. It's a two-week intensive pre-recorded course, which is designed to help you learn how to do this for yourself. The proper attitudes to have toward ourselves at all stages of life. And really this can help you tremendously to parent yourself well now but it also focuses on the whys as well as the laws and principles that guide the the attitudes that you should be developing so if you can clearly see and understand the principles that guide an approach then I don't have to give you a list of superficial things to do you'll begin to understand for yourself the right approach because why? Because you'll understand the healthy laws and principles that guide that approach. So, that is our discussion for today. I am mostly over the. Oh, it's kind of like a minor flu that I had last week. Kicked my butt for a couple days. And my daughter caught it I feel kind of regretful about that but truly it was about time don't you think I mean she's she's so giving with all of her germs that it is about time that it worked the opposite way like you know, her getting sick off my sickness rather than the other way around she's doing well she's just about kicked it herself so uh, that's why I can joke about it like that Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Take care of yourselves, and I'll talk at you real, real soon. Happy Thursday, happy weekend, and uh, I'll see you next week. Ciao.